Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Seaspire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 426, and today we'll be talking about Knock Knock Knockin' on Hootie's Door from the Owl House. I'm GC13. I'm Soren. And I'm David. I was very nice for you all. I did not do it in the Guns N' Roses voice for the title there, but I make no promises that I'll be able to resist the urge later in the episode. We could get like some audio editing in, get the original song to say, knock, 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 and on yeah. this door. They, this whole show really likes to have fun little referential titles, which I would probably be lost on the majority of 12 and under children, but it's still, I do appreciate it. Yeah, well, and also lost on us who are too literal because I didn't see a single time Hootie was knocked on in this episode. So, except for all the knocking he's about to get, that sounds inappropriate for some reason. Uh, yeah. This <laughs> this uh, episode features features Hootie, uh, as evidenced by the title, and he uh, he talks a lot in it. And this episode, uh, I think it's amazing because it uh, it reminds me of We Need to Talk in Steven Universe, an 11-minute episode of television, which I can't even fathom every time I watch it how it fits so much content paced so well into it and uh in this episode you know we have 22 minutes and I they fit like three full character developments that feel like their own episodes in there yeah this is a big big development episode and it's great like and each one like overshadows the next one to the point where you're like oh god you know like I barely processed the first one and now new stuff is going on and and overshadowing it all is Alex Hirsch's voice acting of Hootie, which to me feels like hearing um, Wario speak in one of the recent WarioWare games where they just made Charles Martinet like talk for the whole game instead of just grunting and saying quotes about money or whatever. And it's like a little hard. You're like, whoa, this voice is a little hard to listen to personally for me for the whole episode. And it only has so much range. So his emotion in this episode is anguish like just crying and it's a lot but i loved the episode and hootie is funny but it does make me feel like (laughs) hootie is not designed for um you know the emotional storytelling like it can happen around him but he always feels juxtaposed to it to me like as this truly ridiculous thing that i can't take seriously which is maybe the point um but I couldn't believe that these were the circumstances under which, you know, like Luce or Amity, you know, both had to ask out each other. It was, <laughs> was kind of really awkward. And I I'm mean, not sure to that, be to be fair, <laughs> that, I don't know. None of them would have ever gotten the courage to do it on their own without outside push. And you saw how eager yeah. Amity was when uh, she was in the tunnel of love. She was like, she was there for that. She was there for Luz making the first move, and she was very unhappy. When Luz indicated that, <laughs> no, 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 I didn't intend for any of this. It's like, Luz, read the room. You know, the first time I watched it, I think I was uh, along with Amity's emotions and feeling like it was really awkward. But this time watching, I thought, oh, you know, this is actually a really sweet tunnel of love. Like, I mean, Hootie set up all these sweet things that, you know, Luz has said over the episode and in the past. And it's like not really that cringy except for the fact that it is a tunnel of love and they're being forced into it like that part's bad dude no it's actually quite (laughs) sweet and you know amity's kind of completely charmed by it for for part of it so that's that is true and i agree with you however the secondhand embarrassment i got from watching that scene the first time was like painful in my stomach like i i they nailed it (laughs) it took all of my strength not to like pause the episode and leave the room 
it's rough. In that scene, all of my secondhand embarrassment is is again, like I mentioned, amity and the the feeling of when Luz says, "Oh no, no, this is this is all bad," and I'm trying to get rid of it. Luz, I'm not really emoting for in this scene. It's all it's all watching Amity kind of be like, "Oh, she was about to ask me out," but actually, she wasn't. Yeah. I think it was watching Luz throw out, like, yeah, like it's not destroying like everything, <laughs> like being so bad at reading a room that she like doesn't oh. even like pause to see that Amity might actually be kind of into it. She's so embarrassed, thinking that she's like a loser. Yeah, which yep. like it is supported in the show, right? Like this beat makes sense for Luz, but I just, it feels like she's almost been a, a little too unaware. Like, you got, you got, you got kissed, girl. Like, look at what's happening. Yes. <laughs> like, read the room for sure. If she, she likes kisses you, it's you, okay. She probably wants to go into the tunnel of But love. to be fair, Amity was pretty mean to her for a while, but that ended in season one, like, in the first half of season one. Luz was really good at ignoring the meanness. Like, as soon as she saw the, the nice girl within Amity, like, all was forgiven. I don't think Luz would have even, like, entertained the idea of asking Amity out if she didn't have, like, some inclination that it was reciprocated. Yeah, she she was hemming and hawing about what the right way to do it was. Yeah, like like I think she had it mostly in the bag. She thought like, oh well, Amity is gonna suddenly not like me anymore because I'm cheesy. Um, <laughs> yep. It would just there's nothing wrong with being a little cheesy, a little old fashioned. It worked for it worked for Camilla. So you can't tell me Camilla's not a cheesy cheesy lady. Yes, but. <laughs> do we know for sure that cheesy she 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 got manny she got manny somehow and she did it by being herself <laughs> we know nothing about manny except that he's a trekkie Supp like uh, uh, implied yeah speaking of fathers oh look at that transition into talking about the revealed in this episode father uh, who gets his eye mushed in, and we don't know what happens to him. Oh, Ida's dad. I thought, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a, quite a bit about fathers in this episode. Yep. There. I thought we. Th <laughs> I thought you were talking about King's dad for yeah, sure. Yeah, me too. All three of them have some sort of daddy issues. Wait, they put so much in this episode. Like, there's even a sub theme <laughs> about fathers. It doesn't fit yeah. in with. You know, the Tunnel of Love, but uh, also Hootie's weirdly maybe being like an awkward father who, uh, you know, is pushing his daughter towards something, which, uh, you know, there you go, now it's a theme. But uh, yeah, no, we, we get to see Ida's backstory a, a little more filled out. Of course, all of the sequences in her dreams are, there, there's a lot to unpack there, but um, it's so fascinating what they did with the Owl Beast. But uh, yeah, her father... Uh, this is a weird reveal because, um, yeah, she hurts her dad. But uh, the bigger question you have immediately after seeing that is, what the heck happened to her dad? <laughs> Was that a turning point? Did he just like Vamoose? It seems really nice. So I don't think he would just run away after getting his, you know, face hurt once. But uh, no, he was. It was Ida that ran away. Yeah, she runs away. Probably not too long after oh, this. Okay, this, is, right. this is probably the incident that. Uh brought about her mother to turn to quackery what happens to him he's still around he's presumably still living with gwendolyn yeah her father we do see him in a future episode they have a, a heart mm. to heart that's good he's the one who carried the clawthorn name and he has a yellow cardinal palisman 
very similar looking to Flapjack, which of course right. further pushes this idea that maybe there is some relation. Um, Small Isles. Yeah. What was yeah. his first name? I can't remember. Del. Del Clawthorn. Yeah, it shows a lot about like Ida's past. I mean, that's a long time. Like that's her entire adult life that she's had this curse kind of interfering with everything. Her her breakup with Rain was really sad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was also <laughs> tough. And yeah. It's it's sad that adult Ida has figured out what the problem is, but you know, she can't go back in time and fix it. Yeah. I the the whole dream sequence was incredibly touching and like the kind of symbolism of it was very clear but not so like on the nose that it was too much i really appreciated like all the visual imagery they did we also got our first appearance and mentioning of the collector yes yeah i noticed that very strangely i have a question for both of you okay because i watched this episode at least uh two times you know before the before the second half of season 2 came about and we got to meet the collector properly but for some reason having seen it twice it never clicked in my head that we had heard the collector's voice before and then you know after having met the collector properly i go through this and like oh oh he talks yeah he's mentioned by name in the credits as the collector yep i i knew that i knew he was credited in the collector i just did not know that he had the exact same voice here I don't know why, but that yeah. just never clicked in my head. They know what they're doing, but uh, it's such a weird inclusion, but it just, you know, go passes by in a way that, you know, doesn't allow you any space to think that it has any significance. I think the transition into also, you know, she becomes like a scroll or something and falls into the ocean yep. and then some dude on, in this beach picks it up. It was very, uh, it reminded me of in um which i hope uh, is this spoilers does anyone care about the spoilers for twin peak season three but i don't know there's a weird um theme in in that show and in the third season that involves like the most basic element of reality or across realities being like this endless ocean that people exist in and it just like reminded me of that like we were in a very weird space when we were on this beach and hmm. you know these strange memories and ideas were floating through it so I don't know if that gets any future development, but I found that part of the sequence very fascinating because it just makes you think or ask the question, like, what what was the intent <laughs> of of the person who drew this sequence? Like, is it just sort of made up dreamy nonsense or what, you know, what does it all mean? The fact that it ends <laughs> with the scroll being found and, you know, presumably sold off to the night market after that makes me think that there it's fairly literal in that the collector did capture the owl beast and turn it into the scroll somehow uh that's yeah that's what i get out of it I, I don't see any other interpretation but i mean we're all left to wonder how why when hmm. so yeah that's it's actually not that subtle but that would explain i mean that's actually cool that that sequence communicates that without uh ida having to carry us through <laughs> that revelation i mean like she knows what the collector is at this point right but yeah, that so that's interesting. That's actually a cool example of the show, though, explaining something without explaining it directly, which I guess I'm not used to. So I'm not paying attention hard enough. I'm just like, wow, what an interesting sequence. The first time I watched this show, I, I did not realize that this was the first shown sequence of The Collector. I, 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 it wasn't until I watched it a second time. I'm like, oh, crap. We, we got him even earlier. 
Yeah. But it helps explain. So, you know, Ida has uh, all the previous dream sequences. She's just very frustrated with the owl beast, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, she's maybe recognizing that she could have played a part in being more active and improving some of her relationships. But, um, you know, she still attacks the owl beast. And it's only when she sees it in this sort of, you know, pathetic state, right? It's trying to escape (laughs) from her. But she can see now that it's not just her tied to the owl beast. The owl beast is also tied to her. You know, she gains some sympathy for it. But it's kind of surprising that, like, she goes from completely hating it (laughs) and distrusting it to, oh, it's a little kitty (laughs) that has a sandpaper tongue and I love you. You know, and then she just gets this whole new form, right? Uh, I mean, harpy form. I don't think we're all immune to just a little guy. Right. But so I like that the scene, though, also helps explain a little bit of the situation. And I just wasn't privy to it, which is like, yeah, the owl beast isn't just tied to her abstractly. Like, it was a real thing that really got sold in the black market in some way, uh, you know, was embedded into a curse. And then, you know, now they're both stuck with each other. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's cool to see that literal story as well as the sort of metaphor about mental illness. We get more development on her relationship with the Albiest in some future episodes, but this is the introduction of Harpy Ida, which is like the coolest thing ever. And I really do appreciate yes. that the show finds her canonically hot. Like, I think they literally Instantly. say you're looking Instantly. hot or something like that. <laughs> I love that too. Like it's so on the nose. Like I just love for a kids show that they're like, yeah, like this older person, they can totally look at themselves in the mirror and be like, boom, I'm hot. And then of course lose immediately. <laughs> like her only concern. <laughs> Not doing as good as like, you. <laughs> we need to talk about this because uh, you're looking good. Like, I have some questions <laughs> for later. <laughs> <laughs> her concerns are primarily just about like, what are you doing? <laughs> How do you look so good? Remember Ida is the kind of person who has a 30 and flirty mug, so that's where she's at in life. She's in her 40s, though, isn't she? (laughs) Well, it doesn't rhyme with flirty, now does it? Yeah, maybe she just had it for a while. But it is, it it was a very good development for Ida. Like, like, as much as uh, Lumity really outshines in this episode, because it's like the big ship that everybody likes. Yeah, yeah. Grom and everything. Like, the development with Ida was also so touching. The development with King, too. Well, we have to get to that part eventually, but the development with Ida was just, like, really touching. And I think it was when I was first watching this episode, when I was watching the series for the first time, like, this is where it really clicked for me. Like, oh, it's a metaphor for a chronic illness. Train. Did you hear that? Yes. Oh, we all heard it. Choo-choo. They were really loud. Oh, the... What what is it with Hootie and just uh, freaking out on people and attacking them? I mean, David hasn't seen the episode, but uh, we've all seen what he did to poor Steve. Yeah, he's um, he's whack. I do enjoy Hootie. He has don't you talk no... about my mother? Yeah, he has like no impulse control and no like ability to see into the future at all. He's pure id. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and and we've revealed a little bit about the nature of Hootie. He's a bug demon, a type of worm, but also a house demon. We Like, literally, on two separate occasions, we get a little bit of extra on Hootie, because Amity says um, house demons get like that after a couple thousand years. So Hootie isn't completely unknown. There are perhaps others like him. Are all house demons types of bug demons, or is it the nature of being attached to a house? 
I think it's really cool, and I also do not expect the show to ever elaborate on what Hootie is, because that makes it funnier. Yeah, I don't know. I think I have more questions than answers about Hootie's relationship to the house after this one, actually, <laughs> because we see fairly early he manages to rip himself out of the door, and you you know, they, they don't really dwell on the shot, but it looks just like when he uh, rips himself out to... Be in the little house, yeah. In the in the little porta hoodie where he reports for duty. Yeah, and where where it makes Luz throw up because it's so disturbing. But uh, then he has some other further connection that he's pulling on, trying to rip himself out of the house. So like the door is not his only connection somehow. Yeah, and even though he did rip himself out of the door, we never saw his end. Like where does we got the hoodie head and the hoodie body, but where does hoodie terminate? Hmm. is it like literally that little slot in the door but then we never see it separated from the door like he's in the ground after that like Ida doesn't fully lift him up off the ground he's still attached to the earth somehow and where does the plumbing to Steven's you know washing machine come from and go right it's all magic maybe it's like uh, if he's a house demon and they only they carry him around in that little portable house Oh, Maybe he literally hmm. does not end until he attaches himself to another house. And so that's what he was trying to do. It was the paradox of trying to get out of the owl house without having another house to put himself into. Interesting. Also, I do want to talk a little bit about that anatomical diagram of Hootie, which also is cut off by the end of the screen, so we can't see where it ends. But he has his face and his beak, and then like the esophagus of teeth. And then a bunch of weird-looking structures, and then some intestines, and then some more structures. Like, he's really got some interesting... Like, he's got he's got more teeth in there. There's, like, teeth, and then there's, like, a little sack, and then there's more teeth, and more teeth. Like, he's just lined with it. Like, how d is he able to owl-pellet anybody? Like, I guess he has to, because if he were to just take them in normally, they would just be cut up. Yep. Absolutely fascinating. Hootie is a mystery, and I think it's meant to be that way. They they could do an, an entire graphic novel where they like do an uh, incredible journey into Hootie, and it's like they never reach the end. They just they have to leave. It just keeps getting too weirder and weirder, <laughs> and they have to go. Wow! Eventually, the like physical anatomy stops, and you start getting like space or something. I don't know. Yeah, they're funnier than I am. They'll figure it out. This is a good transition to um. King's little development in this story, it really comes down to the fact that he's very upset that he doesn't know where he came from, but he does get powers. Um, he gets his little voice. <laughs> he gets a attack. ghostly whale. <laughs> oh my god, hide Ember. That's everybody's favorite, you know, season two upgrade. Yeah, the, the really cool part about King's little demon section is we get to learn about the three Bs and the kind of like lore that they're trying to set up. Bugs, beasts, and bipeds. Bugs, beasts, and bipeds. <laughs> I like that also Hootie was like um, trying to do the, the puberty talk and he's like hair and yep. places, but King is already furry. <laughs> yep. So <laughs> that's really like he's going to start growing a mustache on top of his gold plate. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be very, very funny. Doesn't he? He has like a fantasy about meeting his dad yes, and it's literally and just him with a mustache. mustache. Exactly. So... <laughs> He really has no idea where uh, he what he's going to look like when he grows up. Um, and honestly, we still don't, because like, there's got to be some sort of middle phase between little itty-bitty baby king and like full-on titan. 
And I'm very excited to see this next episode of season three. I really, really hope he got a little growth spurt. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a voice drop. Alex Hirsch does a great job having the him his voice crack and him being just immediately pissed about it. <laughs> uh, Demon Puberty is a heck of a ride. Demon Puberty. But the thing that I really liked about these scenes is we got to we got like a ton of little background Easter eggs like um Pokemon are implied to be a type of demon on the Boiling Isles. They're called <laughs> pocket monsters. Yes, I saw that. There's also Cthulhu. And just chinchillas, like straight chinchillas. Just straight up normal chinchillas, which, <laughs> uh, but not giraffes. Giraffes were not mentioned. They were all... Well, they're not on the Boiling Isles anymore. They were banished. So I guess the chinchillas are cool. Chinchillas still cool. They do double dip in the human realm, as it seems. Yep, yep. Too cool for one school. Also, types of demon that King fits into is cartoon and super cute. Uh, <laughs> which I think <laughs> Hootie was just adding at the end, his own little personal opinions. And then there's another folder labeled hybrids on the side, which is interesting that mm. they never discuss that one at all. And the implication that all demons hatch from eggs. Oh, uh, that, that was a funny, funny diagram. The, the tangle of snakes, I like that. <laughs> Yes, um, and we got to learn a little bit about, so that eyeball girl in the, I think it's the potions track at Hexide, she was born as literally just an eyeball and then grew legs and then like looks like hmm. a, a person. <laughs> but she was literally just a legless eyeball for three years. And it wasn't until after three years that she grew legs. I think that's very interesting. Now... We all remember the the duel that King had against Tanella Nosa, but I do wonder, do you think he could have taken her if he had his uh, shout at the time? Yes, it would have been a draw. They would have immediately launched themselves backwards and KO'd each other. I like that logic. That's a good one. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> like, like Tanella can, is, uh, can barely handle her own magic. Yeah, she doesn't have the construction coven sigil to power her up. Question about the whale power. Why does it turn pink and create beautiful purple glowing haze, making the moment extremely romantic? <laughs> That's just loose. <laughs> is that what it is? He wants what's best for Luz subconsciously. Yeah, it was... What, and then what created the heart shape in the ground? Was that just also coincidental? I think that was something Ida did on purpose. You know, she says, you know, she'll do her best. And then she seemed pretty pleased with her handiwork. So. Yeah, that was cute. It won't be perfect, but does it have to be? That was a sweet, a sweet little sentiment. Because at first I thought it was just a complete coincidence the way she happened to rip Hootie out of the ground. But watching it later, I feel like she did. She meant to have the heart. Maybe that would be quite difficult to pull off. Maybe Hootie self-consciously was going for the heart. Well, I don't know. The, the Hootie has strange abilities. I don't know how he managed to get that entire tunnel of love built without any arms. He even dropped in a Five Nights at Freddy's reference. Yeah. When was this? The the chow time, the animatronics. Okay, when was this? Hold on, hold on. Yeah, it looks more specific to that style than a generic, horrifying animatronic. Although at this point, it's kind of hard to do that without feeling like it's a Five Nights at Freddy's reference. Like, they had the same thing in a glitch text. No, this is, this is specifically. 
Like they they have the chow time bib and everything. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. The chow time, yeah, that's a Five Nights reference. Don't like the uh implication of Hootie having feet in his own animatronic. That is somehow more disturbing. But yeah, that is <laughs> that is a bona fide Five Nights at Freddy's reference. Oh, what was I going to say? Well, we we did have Tanella Nosa confirm that you do not have to be in the healing coven to go to medical school. I don't think that was a legitimate claim to <laughs> any sort of I graduated from medical school. <laughs> I think in the closed captions it was actually in quotes, so <laughs> if that counts. <laughs> Maybe it's like when you can... Uh... One of those uh, diploma mills where you just give the money and they say, here, you're a medical school graduate now. If I was about to perform a really sketchy procedure on somebody and I specifically <laughs> wanted to mess with them, I think I would also say that. Don't worry. I am a med school graduate. <laughs> or was, was the quote from Toy Story? I don't think that man graduated from medical school. <laughs> yeah, that that is very funny. Let's see. Uh, I was looking through the credits in this episode and two things that were really cool is d bradley baker is the owl beast because of course he is he is the guy who did momo and appa and basically every animal voice actor in every cartoon since the 90s and then kevin michael richardson was the king like demon because i absolutely recognized his voice um, yeah that was place the instant <laughs> it's yeah. so funny that very iconic extremely deep voice and I was actually surprised that the collector was not voiced by a child because the voice acting is very convincingly childish, but voiced by an adult woman who also does a bunch of other random voices in the show. Like I think she voices somebody in the the scouts, like the Emperor's Coven, as well as some others, which I'm not going to bother looking up right now. But that was cool. They really do double up the voice actors in here. Very few just one-hit wonders. Well, hey, if you like to work with them. Yeah, I mean, Dana Terrace was like, I want to <laughs> I want to pick the, like, hilarious little inside joke random character and give her a lisp and just be the only voice that she does in the show. <laughs> well, it works. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, we have, like, cartoon creators, like, the actual, like, director and creator of the show. Like, some will absolutely not voice a single character in in the show that they're creating, or they will voice, like, half of them, looking at Alex Hirsch, uh, or they'll <laughs> voice, like, the little Easter egg character, like, uh, Dana Terrace. Yeah, you have, uh, Craig of the Creek, where you got important side characters, you got the Owl House, where it's a small character, and then you have Mau Mau here, who's a pure heart main character. Oh, did, um... Nate Stevenson voice anything in Shira? I don't think so. No, I was about to say that's like the most like conservative choice to just not <laughs> not voice, which is what I was thinking about Re Rebecca Sugar too. Yeah, she had like a few songs, I think. Right, Rebecca did sing in the show, so that you know kind of counts. But also, Rebecca, you know, got elevated to actually being in a in a cartoon, right, in Amphibia. So <laughs> I hope. To see the same for, like, Nick. She was also in Adventure Time. She was, um... Yeah, she was in Staked. She was Marceline's mom, right? Marceline's mother, yeah. Yeah. Which is great. Rebecca Sugar has a very, like, sweet voice that worked very well for the character. 
it's funny how like a <laughs> I, I'm not gonna talk about Rebecca Sugar right now because that'll totally derail. Um, final thoughts <laughs> on knock 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 on Hootie's door. Nice to have the plot move forward so efficiently, but like, oh, they make you want more. It feels like they knew about season three in this episode. They must have. <laughs> and, and they just efficiently got through the plot. Okay. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. I'm looking. I am looking at the illusion section on the wiki page for this episode. There is one of SpongeBob SquarePants, the scene where Hootie makes a smug look. They were like, you like Krabby Patties, don't you, Squidward? <laughs> I, I don't know if that's like a direct one-to-one reference. They do look very similar. And Hootie does make the expression like a couple times. But Hootie's just always making weird faces. So I don't know if that was deliberate. His intensity dial is always squarely at a 10 or an 11. Yeah. Um. They also, apparently a Neon Genesis Evangelion reference, King forces Hootie to wear a similar outfit that is worn in the show. Tanelanosa has a, a Nintendo Switch. Yeah, so many mm-hmm. Nintendo Switches. <laughs> in, in especially the Disney cartoons, it feels like. Yeah. Two of the demons pictured in Hootie's demon presentation are a Beholder and a Grell. I did not know that's from Dungeons and Dragons. Red Thread of Fate. Okay, well, that's that's pretty cultural. Eda's a harpy. Oh, there's an Amphibia reference. When Luz and Amity are in the basement, the Calamity box can be spotted on a shelf in the basement twice. Ooh. Interesting. Very nice. Yeah, the Owl House actually does some legwork in a few episodes to have uh, Amphibia references throughout. I think it was in the season three episode. Yeah. I can't believe that we... Season we finale and season time? three episode. Hot Pop is on a book in Willow's room, and right. then there's a Sprig plush in Hunter's. But there was like a news there report or newspaper talking yes. about Anne. Like that's in that's in the season. Oh, that's in the season finale. I mean, okay, yeah, episode twenty one. I think Disney could have a cinematic animated TV show universe if they wanted. Although Amphibia shouldn't be in one. <laughs> it is done. <laughs> Well, the Owl House is about to be too, sadly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, guys, that's it for us on Knock, Knock, Knockin' on Hootie's Door. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. I'm Soren. And I'm David. Leave us a comment or a review. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com.